From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Anthony Scott Burns. He's a filmmaker, visual effects artist, cinematographer, and animator. And to top it all off, he's a musician and releases music under his alter ego, Pilot Priest. His debut feature film, Come True, is currently available on VOD. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, you know, I... I when I was writing up this and looking into your bio, I realized just how many, like, recent independent filmmakers we've talked to that have had to balance so many different roles. And I just wonder, how how do you do it? <laughs> um, with great strain on your physicality. Uh, <laughs> no uh, sleeping. <laughs> yeah, no, very little sleeping. Um, and just weird trauma to your brain <laughs> just juggling all this stuff is, is, is yeah well i think you know in, in talking to that it's the idea is that we all want to make quality films for everyone to watch 
and mm-hmm. it's really, really, the market has changed enough that the time and the money isn't there anymore, but the expectation and the want and desire still is. And mm-hmm. therefore, uh, yeah, it's on us to do extra jobs. <laughs> I mean, it looks great on a resume, but I also think that must probably be exhausting. Well, listen, no one wants to kill themselves to make a movie, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but we, we want to make a, you know, I can only speak for myself really, but I want to make a really quality film and, yeah. and I want it to feel like someone cared about every aspect of this in a way where, you know, you even down to, you know, you watch a lot of movies now and they start up and the credits were done in the edit suite, you know, and you yeah. can see yeah. that and it just, it feels like, well, guys, this, you know we used to care about all of this stuff and and people still want us to care about all that stuff. And therefore we're going to, whether it kills me or not. (laughs) And that's, and that's sort of, I think that's the mentality of a lot of young filmmakers and people who are still wanting to get their ideas out there. So. Well, it's amazing because like with come true, it works. Like it's amazing. You can tell you poured so much love and effort into it. And it's like, it's amazing. And we've talked to other filmmakers and it's like, it sucks. They have to break your back for it, but it also, it shows, it it really shows that you gave a lot of love into it. And hopefully it turns into more movies with less stress or at least (laughs) on your physicality. Yeah. I hope so. I I don't think the stress will ever go away, but yeah, (laughs) that's true. A different kind of stress, maybe like a little less of it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't have too much hope. honestly. (laughs) Like, like, listen, you know, if I'm being real, you know, no, I totally get it. uh, You talk to anybody right now in the business and it's, 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 it's an interesting time. It's an interesting time. Let's just say that it's, it's that's very, a, that's di- one word for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people today and, and one of the sort of through lines is, you know, when people find out we shot for 60 days, they go, Whoa, 60 days. It's crazy. It's like, no, that's what we wanted to do. Um, but you know, something like Carrie or the movie we're talking about today probably shot for a lot more than that. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's a new paradigm that, you know, you make a horror movie and, 14 to 20 days that's the new norm but that wasn't the norm and it's no. not the norm for the films that we love and cherish and that's yeah. true you know it's hard it's hard to meet those bars when you're you're you know you know it's easy to go on letterbox and say this movie sucks <laughs> you know <laughs> but but you have to know mm-hmm. that now a movie is being made for a tenth of the budget that they were made in the 80s for yeah with with not not even remotely the same amount of time but people still want like myself included i still want to be able to put out something that can compete and entertain on the same level so before we do kind of get more into uh, your, your current career how did you get into horror how were you introduced to it well this movie we're going to talk about today oh, introduced okay. me to horror and oh. the concept of horror and we can get into that later but but yeah. outside of that once i had seen this film or the part of it that I saw, the horror aisle in the video store became a place of intrigue, a place of uh, testing myself, a mm. place of of the, the place that I always chose my entertainment from, uh, from that point forward. And I don't know why. I tend to think it's the exploratory nature of the narratives um, and the ones that I liked. So between science fiction and horror, there was no other option for me. And as a person, there was no other option 
but to make movies. Um, I had sort of lived and breathed them since I was a kid and made them, you know, in my mind. And I made my mind up when I was a teenager that this is what I was going to do. And my parents told me I was crazy and that I should get a trade. And I just did not stop. The love of the genre from day one crossed with uh, I wanted to do this and tell stories. Um, there was no other place for me but making horror movies. That's amazing. And so besides the movie you're talking about today, what were some more of your horror favorites growing up? Um, well, you know, it's pretty cliche, but Jaws was one that I watched uh, when I was five years old. Um, oh, wow. Oh, me too. Yeah. And he, he, you remember the feeling of like from then on, even seeing a picture of a great, great white shark would would – it would send me into like a shiver and I could, I had to shut the book. Like I just, mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. then on it was, it was, yeah. So Jaws I was scared of my bathtub. I was scared yeah. of my bathtub I and I was scared my of my, to my toilet. Like I legit thought they were going to come through the drain and like bite me on the toilet or like yeah. in a swimming pool, like forever. Oh, yeah. I was like yeah. so scared that would happen. I lived in Alaska and we had it and there was an indoor swimming pool. And I remember being terrified of swimming on my back because I couldn't see the shark coming up from the, bottom of the pool to get me so i get that fear completely. Well, you know, there is an episode of a tv show called manimal from the 80s and in the pilot i believe uh, a, a shark comes and kills a man in a in a in a pool in someone's backyard no i saw that right after jaws and what it was he had a little <laughs> compartment in the pool that opened up and then a shark went in the pool like so it was oh like, no like, yeah so that merged with Jaws. Yeah, I was never able to go in a pool again because I thought someone must have put a secret shark uh, <laughs> compartment in, in whatever pool I was in. <laughs> that is amazing. Wow, yeah. that is amazing. So, and also yeah. traumatizing, but also amazing. <laughs> and that's why I was scarred. So Jaws, Jaws, obvious. Uh, Alien, another obvious yeah. one. Um, mm -hmm. One not so obvious that just really hit me hard was uh, Sleepaway Camp. Mm. Um, oh. uh, confused me. <laughs> yeah, confused yeah. me. Pet Cemetery. Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the fellow, uh, what's his name? Who has his brain? Pascal. Uh, Pascal. That that and and obviously uh, the sister, <laughs> which you know. Yep. I think everybody who saw those everyone, movies, everyone was traumatized by Zelda. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and Stephen King's It, the TV movie, got me. And one of the reasons that got me, and it was years later I found out, is that it was filmed in my neighborhood. Oh, and, wow, really? And, oh, no. Yeah, so, the, so the Barrens, I used to go visit my aunt where that was filmed, and we used to play in the forest near there. And the, the theater, the Paramount in, the, in that movie, is the one we used to go to. And I didn't oh, know that. Shit. I just thought all towns looked the same, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid. And no, no, that's where they filmed it, where I was. And so there was just a, this weird connection. And a, in a weird wow. sequence wow. Of, of Carl Jung um, uh, connective tissue, uh, later on when I made Our House, we scouted every town we could in Ontario. And I found this one. And I was like, this is it. This is the town. And it looks just like something out of a Stephen King movie. And so we shot Our House. <laughs> And then a week later, after we were done, they came to shoot it there. And it became Holy. dairy. So dairy, dairy followed me everywhere I went. <laughs> that's, that's really okay, that's, creepy. That's <laughs> creepy. Is, is it, see what I mean? There's something to this connective tissue. And that's what, that's what uh, scared me about making come true. So what draws you to the genre as an adult? Like I know you said you've always loved horror. So what keeps you going within that genre now? 
Well, I'm typically, due to just the nature of who I am, I'm typically afraid of people. Mm. Um, cool. <laughs> and, and things that Valid. are going on. I'm a fearful person. Uh, mm -hmm. Right, rightfully or, or whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a valid, yeah. it's a valid concern. It is valid. It's I'm very just, valid. Yeah. So I think what keeps me wanting to make genre is that it's still a great place to explore ideas. Mm -hmm. And you guys are in the horror community. You know, it's, 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 it's the kind of community that is actually very progressive. Mm -hmm. And, and I really love that. And so it's, it's, I want to be on the cutting edge of empathy. And that's where I, I, I tend to want to tell the stories is in horror, because that's where we can explore uh, empathy and how we as humans sort of navigate who we are and where we're going. And that's the fun part about genre for me is sort of personal growth. It's the genre where you can really push those ideas in entertaining ways. So you're not just like, here's a, yeah. here's a two hour drama right. about something. It's here's a, here's a thrill ride that if you're receptive to it, you'll, you'll, you'll get some sort of feeling that might, you know, change something in, inside you. And I think that's sort of what all of us respond to, like, you know, like as kids, we respond to the initial sort of shock factor and, and the difference of horror. But as you go on, it's, it's the exploratory nature and that, that we can look at different parts of ourselves and, and sort of res, uh, reflect on them. Yeah. That's, that's what keeps yeah. me going. Same actually. <laughs> so do you do you still get that childhood fear watching movies at all or are you have you become like the rest of us jaded to scares sometimes sometimes i remember there's there's definitely a few moments i mean you can watch uh kurosawa's pulse cairo and <gasps> still yes 100 come away from that film or or his film cure and come away from you just feeling yeah horrified to the core so. You are like you are like one of the only other people. Someone mentioned Cure in a previous episode, but not many people know about Cure, so it makes me very happy that you brought that up because it's just like one of my all time favorite horror movies. Mm -hmm. And because it's it, so it scares good. you as an adult, it and freaks you out. Like I was scared to leave the movie theater where I saw it. I was like, mm -mm, and it's, he's and here. The filmmaking is so strong, <laughs> so it's oh, not it's just ridiculous. an it's, it's not just an interesting piece of narrative it's also just a really strong cinematic vision so yeah it's it's a yeah. double whammy love that film so yeah um i think i'm totally on board to still get freaked out and you know even even popcorn movies get me yeah. <laughs> you know like yeah uh, james wan's movies you know I, I don't make that kind of a film but i you know sometimes when i'm watching you know he he's somebody who can still creep me out <laughs> he's really good at crafting he's a, really a, a good at that yeah, yeah. yeah he's really talented with that like insidious made me scream when i first saw it like i don't usually ever do that but i screamed it like I it, it, yeah. it, and it's not something that you can really put your finger on it's just that he is really great at tapping into the thing that scared you when you were a kid because mm. it's the yeah. same thing it's the same thing it's, it's yeah. not a new thing it's something that you're you're still scared of like the basement going down to the basement with the lights off. There's still a part yes. of you that believes that when you're coming back up, there's something behind you. And he's yep. really great at going, I'm going to use that, that thing you're still fearing for no reason, like going in the tub and closing your eyes. I know he, it's like, he's saying, I know you're still there mentally. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I still get scared and I play a lot of horror games and they scare me to death. Hell so. yeah. Oh my gosh. Horror games are like a whole other monster, like pun intended. What, are, what have you played recently? 
Uh, I just recently finished Last of Us Part Two, which oh. for me was uh-huh. such a strong narrative that that I was sad that I didn't get to it sooner because it's something I've always wanted. I've always wanted to tell the story of the reality of revenge because mm. I'm someone who's yeah. openly I'm openly against revenge films because I think they're the easy way to poke and prod our worst intentions. Uh, everyone is going to get mad when a loved one gets you know hurt and you want to yeah. want to harm someone, but it's it's we want to head to where we're an evolved species that we don't want that anymore. We want to, we want to help everyone not want to do that anymore. And that's, that's what I loved about the the, the narrative of that film or the yeah. film. I call it a film because it is a film really. <laughs> it's is, one of yeah. my favorite films uh, of, of the last two years. So but yeah, I love that, that, game. that, Oh, that game is the, the sequel. Like I, I went into it with some trepidation, but that it just, it, that just blew me away. And you're absolutely right. The way it's telling the, the way that revenge and, and feeling that all consuming desire to crush something that hurt you and how it leads to nothing but sadness is, is, was one of the most affecting experiences um, for me last year too. Yeah, it really is strong. It's for, for any medium to make you want to put it away because it hurts you so much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's so what it's, it's gutsy in a way that most movies aren't, you know, because it's, it's, it's poking and prodding you to stop playing because you don't want to go any further. I've, I've told people before that I've, I actually put the controller down at the, the climax of the, of the, of the game. Cause I was like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to keep doing this. And it I forces know. you. It and forces that's like the you. power, it's the yeah. power of, of the, of the game and them using that medium to really, force mm-hmm. you to grapple with what you're doing yeah. in such a, oh, such a powerful way. It gives me, it sends shivers down my spine every time I think about that ending. Yeah, me too. And, and it's a story worth telling, you know, yeah. it's, it, that's the thing It's it works on two levels. And I, I think I've talked about this with everyone today, how, uh, for me as a genre filmmaker, I've always wanted to make things that work on multiple levels. And, you know, when I first saw American Psycho, um, oh, I remember yes. laughing so hard because it was such a great commentary on macho, moronic behavior. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But also it was such a great horror movie. And, but they were both running at the same time at the same speed. And that's the same thing as, as uh, Last of Us Part Two is that it works as an action game for you to get your thrills and chills and stuff, but it is really also working so well as, as a, a difficult narrative that, that gets inside you. And I think that's what I've always wanted to do is make movies that work on both levels where it's entertainment and it's also something to be thought about. So, so, uh, I'm also kind of curious about, um, it, when I, cause when I did some digging and I looked at, at like your, the Wikipedia entry on you and everything, I saw it's that you're, <laughs> is it really? <laughs> that Wikipedia has been written by eight different people who all wanted different things from me. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what, what struck me was that when, when I was looking at, at kind of your, your timelines, it looks like you kind of got involved with film at the same time that you were working on your, your album with as pilot priest is, is that kind of how did did that kind of develop in tandem or how did that come to be that you were creating music as well as working on visual effects for for films and stuff well i had i had been living in alberta i grew up grew up in bc on film sets and then when i was a teenager we moved to alberta 
And, but I still wanted to make movies. <laughs> my dad was like a military advisor. And so I was on set with him all the time and like on things like first blood and airwolf, oh, and all wow. these really cool things. That's so cool. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, and then he quit that business and we moved out to Alberta and, but I still had the bug and I had seen how movies were made and it was just so exciting, um, that I wanted to be a part of it. And so there wasn't much going on here. So I went to Toronto and I, while I was here, I was basically trying to figure out how to make myself a one man band so that I wouldn't have to worry about financing a film because that's the thing, that, mm. you know, I didn't come from money, didn't have any money. And I knew that there was no right. way I could convince somebody to just give me a million dollars. I'm some kid, I'm some kid from Alberta, Canada, give me a million dollars to make a movie. It was just unheard of. Um, and so I, I had developed these skills, you know, in graphic design and stuff like this, just so that I could do everything myself. And when I moved to Toronto, I found myself uh, able to do all these animations and, and things. And I got a job at MTV and I used MTV like film school. And mm. so oh. every time, so my job was just graphic design, but then I would say, well, what if we did this weird animation or what if we did this? And I learned how to do 3d and I do all these VFX like they're doing. And, you know, I, I'd seen some stuff that Neil Blomkamp was working on early on, mm. uh, way, way back. And, uh, I reached out to him and asked him how he was getting the reflections. And he sent me a, you know, a link to these juggling balls and we were shooting pictures of juggling metal juggling balls to get reflections back. That's like crazy nerd stuff. Anyways, long story short, I, you know, I started to, uh, want to get back into film, but now I had all these skills to make commercials. So I was doing commercials and while I was doing the commercials and the MTV things, I was just scoring them myself because I had always loved um, like working on music. And even in Edmonton back in the nineties, I had this persona called pilot priest and I would just play gigs every once in a while with these synthesizers. And when I did the MTV stuff, they started to get, you know, a little bit of traction on who, who did the music for these MTV spots. They're pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, I, I just kept making these compositions. And one day, uh, someone posted something that Kanye West had said, you know, this is the new Daft Punk for the Tron movie. And it happened to be something that I had had on a SoundCloud and it what? wasn't Daft. Yeah. And it wasn't Daft Punk. It was me. And so Holy that shit. sort of oh my launched God. me in, into sort of the, the realm of people understanding who I was and what I did. And from then on there, you know, like it was, uh, yeah, I just, I just decided to make an album. Based on that, <laughs> it was like there, wow. there is some upswing, and I can actually, you know, people will actually listen to my music now. Um, and it was sort of just a hobby. And at the same time, I was just building more skills and commercials, and not knowing if I could ever return to making feature films because, again, it's just it's 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 not a game I understood, and it seemed mm -hmm. very distant um, because you do need a lot of money to make movies. Um, and it yeah. was just by accident that a fellow in Toronto, um, named Todd Brown had seen some commercial stuff and some, you know, work that I had done just on my own for fun. And he said, you need to do a short. And so I wrote and directed this short and that short got me representation in Hollywood. Wow. <laughs> and wow. Hell yeah. 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 And then I had, you know, I had the top agents and the top managers in Hollywood. And I was going around and meeting everyone. And I even had a deal where I was making a movie produced by Brad Pitt. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> Whoa. And, and then I made our house. <laughs> and, and our house wasn't supposed to be the way it ended up. And I quit in the edit because it they oh. sort of changed it on me. And I didn't want to make that movie. And I was stubborn because I'm, I am, I grew up a punk rock kid. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. so when someone tells me I have to do something, I don't really, I don't really listen. <laughs> that, so that, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah. So, so then my, my Hollywood career died, but, oh, uh, the idea is that that you know I never sought out making big Hollywood movies. Anyways, like I was, I always wanted to do these sort of like you know really cool horror movies, and I wanted to do Come True first. And my representation is, oh no no no, don't do that one. It's weird, you know. Um, <laughs> and and uh, I just always wanted to do it. And and in a way, it was it was great for me because it just put me back on the right track, the track of like oh, screw these people. They can go off and make their whatever it is they're going to make, and I'll go and it, it put me right back where I needed to be, which I think was you know on a, a different different trajectory, not the you know big budget. Uh, you know, one day if you play your cards right, you can do a Marvel movie trajectory. Right. That was never going to work for me. Yeah. It was never going to work for me. But I think based on you know my ability to do things on a budget, do all the VFX, they sort of just like Neil Blomkamp. I think they thought this is someone who's going to just make blockbusters. Right. And he was more interested in making these little weird movies that were effects heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, listen, it didn't work out for Neil either. <laughs> is that it, like his, he, cause he wanted to make weird little movies too. I don't know what we were talking about. But <laughs> it was about the music uh, and uh, the long, long answer for, yeah, it wasn't, it was never intended and it wasn't at the same time. It was just two hobbies. And I, I got lucky in that my hobbies merged in a way that made sense. And I don't think I could pull them apart now if I tried. Like, I can't not score my films because they're, they're, it's part of the DNA. One of my favorite parts of the movie is the music. Like, it sets such a glorious, beautiful vibe for the film. And I was, like, so excited to talk to you about the music just because and hear you talk about, like, your career with music because it is such a good score. Is there a vinyl coming out? Because I would there like is. it. There is. <laughs> yes. From, yes. from, from Matt's work, yeah. It's uh, yes! Yeah. Oh, it's so exciting. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I, I'm excited too. I'm excited. And and you know what's even more exciting is that uh so for about six years I talked with Electric Youth about the the music for Come True. Because like I said, it was supposed to be my first feature. And I had done the remixes of Modern Fears and uh, Runaway for 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 their album and then realized, oh wait, I really want these in Come True. And then so they were nice enough to hold off and go, yeah, yeah. They agreed. These these oh, wow. tracks need to be in Come True because they're, they're both from their previous album, not uh, Memory and Emotion, but the one before that. So they held off for that long, <laughs> you know, from releasing these wow. just so that we could wow. have them in the film. And they had been working on music and themes and stuff all throughout, you know, us building the movie and I was building themes. And so we sort of traded, you know, music all throughout the production and pre-production and showed it to the actors and everything. But when the time came to score the film, they were busy making their new album and they couldn't really take too much time away from that. But so on this, so while most of the score is done by myself, uh, outside, there are some cues of theirs, but the cool thing is that all that music that they sort of built and that we listened to and became sort of the DNA of how this movie was made is going to be on the final oh, and the release. So, so you'll get all exciting. that really, really great stuff. And they did some beautiful stuff with like orchestra even. Yeah, it's exciting. 
I can't cool. wait for people to hear it. So we start talking about Come True. So for <laughs> listeners who haven't watched it yet, can you tell us a little bit about Come True and what it is? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you can. Yeah. Well, okay. Come true is the examination of media. <laughs> it's you know it's different things to different people. On the surface, come true is a horror film about a young woman who uh, is having problems in her home life and goes into a sleep study to sort of escape the necessity of a place to stay and money, you know, in her pocket, and slowly sort of gets pulled into a nightmare because the study itself there's something going on there and they're studying something that we, we don't really know. And I don't want to spoil the movie for anybody, but uh, things don't go well for anybody involved. <laughs> to me, it was always, it was two things. It was me listening to my subconscious and allowing that to sort of free flow into a movie. And it was also a way for me to examine the themes of the movie through the media of cinema. The films is built slightly on the structure of Carl Jung's theories on dreams. And I wanted to examine Ooh. those. I wanted to examine those uh, within a narrative structure that seemed traditional, but really, really did delve into the idea of us as a collective consciousness and how we all are connected through, especially us in the horror community, through the media we grew up on and how that affected us and how it affects our characters in the films and how it's going to change going forward. And that sounds really heady, but that's really what it was to me as a way to self to, to take me through therapy <laughs> and, wow. and, and talk about cool. there's, there's many, listen, when you watch the film, you'll, you'll understand that is, is the character, <laughs> characters, the characters are archetypes and they're made that way, except for Sarah. Yeah. They are not. Yeah. They are the archetypes that we grew up watching in horror films. And they act accordingly. And sometimes you'll agree with their decisions. And sometimes you'll, now that we've changed the way we think, you will have uh, issue with some of the, the decisions of characters. But they are 100% built on the archetypes that we grew up watching. I love this movie because I have a history of nightmares and sleep issues. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was wondering, have you ever experienced like nightmares and sleep issues like that? Or was it just like, I know you just explained like why you thought of most of it, but have you ever like struggled with that before? Yeah, I had sleep paralysis. Uh, when, when, I, when I was a kid, I had a bout of it. My mother passed away when I was eight years old. And the, mm. I guess the stress of that just really affected me. I used to see someone sitting at the end of my bed and I couldn't move. And it was mm. a dark shadow. And I thought forever that my mom was there, sitting there oh my watching God. me. Like I felt like that's what it was. And then one day a feeling came over me that it wasn't. And that really scared me. And that mm. if it turned around and looked at me, I was, I would be dead. <laughs> oh shit. Holy and that lasted, shit. that lasted for a number of months and then it just went away, thankfully. And you were what? You said eight at the time? Eight years old. Yeah, eight years old. That's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy feeling for an eight year old to, to grapple with. Yeah, because it was grief. It was wrapped yeah. in grief, right? Because yeah. I thought my mom was still there and she was watching over me and Jeez. why couldn't I, why couldn't I get up and talk to her? You know, because I was right. in paralysis. So I couldn't even speak to her. And so there was a lot of grief wrapped in there. And so it was, yeah, it affected me. And that's where some of this stuff comes from. And that's why you know, all the beds and the nightmares, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I was so excited to watch this. Cause I love when movies talk about like nightmares and not just like nightmare on Elm street, but like more abstract, like with the, like the nightmarish interludes that you make, like that is not exactly, but like nightmares I've had are similar. And it was really 
cool to see that on screen and kind of representing the exhaustion of having nightmares and like what it means to not be able to sleep because your brain seems to be punishing you while your subcon like while you your subconscious is punishing you when you're oh, supposed yeah. to be resting. And so I really loved that because it's very close to home. <laughs> yeah, I had some people write me and say like, "Hey, uh how are your dreams in the movies so close to mine? <laughs> you know, and I like, love that. Shit. I love it. I love it. No, and, and listen, it's by design. You know, when you look and yeah. you do enough research, you understand what is repeated in nightmares, and it's all part of Carl Jung's theories. You know, on why we dream and what they're made of. So yeah. it, it's all it's a calculated effort to creep certain people out. And some people, you know, they won't like the pace of that stuff, and, and it won't be for them, but. I really, really wanted to make something that explored and, and could connect to people who have these kinds of nightmares and deal with this kind of stuff. And even people yeah. who don't will get hopefully freaked out by those dream sequences. They're very intense. Um, I have oh to say, God. as someone, I don't really, my nightmares usually involve spiders and that's about it. So um, <laughs> I, they, they, that, <laughs> from, from that aspect of it didn't really resonate with me in that way, but they were still like, every time one would come on, it was like, I was, it, it kind of felt like I was walking into Silent Hill where you're not really expecting, you don't really know what to expect. And the images that come forward are a nightmarish amalgamation of horrific things. Yeah. Which is often what happens in dreams, right? And you and you go from one nonsensical thing to another nonsensical thing, mm -hmm. and, and it's sort of like it starts to ping pong out of out of making any sense. Um, which I don't know if you noticed, but the film starts to do that too, to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, it starts to go in that way where all of a sudden you turn here, and that thing makes sense, sort of, but not really to connect to the next thing. And that's how dreams, mm. you know, for me, anyways, are. Is it all yeah. makes logical sense in my brain but none of it is it makes any sense for a narrative <laughs> wow just i'm thinking about that with the movie and like wait that makes so much sense talking about the nightmarish interludes can you explain like how you created them like did, the, the animation and like where did those like images come from and i know we're talking about dreams but like how did you kind of get that inspiration for these weird liquidy people like humanoid <laughs> figures well well i you know that doesn't deviate. The imagery doesn't deviate too much from what people actually see in sleep paralysis um, in yeah. terms of, of who's over their bed. And the idea that everyone who sort of has sleep paralysis sees a very similar group of people or and or a person. That's really, really, really freaked me out. And I wanted to, to display them in a way that if someone was dealing with sleep paralysis, it might really freak them out to see them in the flesh. And so their design is very close to what is reported and seen by people with sleep paralysis. And so I didn't deviate too much there so that that design is from our physiology, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, but everything else came from either my own nightmares, especially in the mm -hmm. movement. The movement is how my nightmares often are. I'm just slowly mm. pulling in. And, you know, that could be from me watching Alice in Wonderland when I was a kid. <laughs> the falling down really, really scared me. I don't know if you remember this one dream where there's stairs and you're going downwards through the staircase. And that really, really, there was something that I had a dream like that. And it really scared me because it looked like I was going mm. in a tunnel. But I, then I realized I was falling down in the middle of a staircase. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so and then outside of that, it's it's just built on archetypes and icons that exist in mm -hmm. almost all people's nightmares. 
whether it's teeth or water or, or, you know, there's, there's just things that we all remember certain kinds of, and the way that it's lit, you know, in nightmares, you don't really see beyond the boundaries. You know, there isn't this vast world in nightmares. It's very contained. And so that was the other thing yeah. on the lighting and sort of the look development of that. And they were all created in CG 100%, uh, wow. but, but made to look and rendered in sort of like a half reality, half miniature. Yeah. Which probably, again, if I had to self-examine myself, comes from the weird feelings I got watching the Friendly Giant. <laughs> Friendly Giant. Uh, I don't know if you okay. could, wow. It's, uh, oh. mini- miniatures are always weird. You know, whether it's a train set or Mr. Dress Up, or uh, I don't know if you guys had it, Mr. Dress Up in the States. I think like even uh, Mr. Rogers. You know, any anytime mm, there's mm-hmm. we're dealing with miniatures and cute little miniatures and cameras moving through miniatures, there's just something off. And I think it's that offness that I wanted to sort of create that that it looks real but not. Okay. So I think there's something to be said for you know the uncanny valley in nightmares. You can't yeah. go to. If, oh yeah. And I think that's why we respond negatively to when it's filmed. Um, to be honest, when it's when a nightmare is filmed. It's like, oh, they're in a warehouse or they're in a, in a, in a, in a sewer somewhere and they've lit it a certain way. It, it feels too real. Nightmares don't ever come to us that way. They're, they're very, they're, they're not reality. And so you, you almost can't film them. Yeah. Actually, that's, that's a, that's a, I was going to bring that up about how you capture the feeling of nightmares in a way that I, I've never seen before because nightmares are so inherently hard to film. Because it's just like they don't make sense, like you said, they're just kind of weird and fluid. And I, the way that you captured nightmares, felt like the most realistic portrayal I've seen of my experience with nightmares. So I really, and again, I appreciated that. Like, oh, I feel seen in this moment. <laughs> yeah. We can we, can we use that as a pull quote? Uh, the most yes. realistic portrayal of nightmares <laughs> ever seen. Yay! Yeah. Get excited. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we have talked about, you know, horror and come true, but what movie, Anthony, are we talking about today that scarred you for life? Well, the movie that scarred me for life is called My Bloody Valentine. And yeah, it's so exciting. So, um, here's a quick synopsis for My Bloody Valentine. Um, a decades old folktale surrounding a deranged murderer killing those who celebrate Valentine's Day turns to, out to be true, turns to be Hmm. <laughs> oh. Thanks, IMDb. Jesus yeah. Yeah. turns out to be true to legend when a group of young adults defy the killer's order and people start turning up dead. Yes. <laughs> that was the best. That was like the best IMDb synopsis I could find for this movie. They were all really not bad. written very well. <laughs> well, it's it's a sign of the times. Remember I said it's hard to make movies these days? If no one cares to even write a synopsis of your film, <laughs> like, what kind, what very kind of, true. What kind of a yeah? There has to be a financial incentive, right? Um, yeah. Okay. So take us back. Take us back to when you first saw this movie. Uh, t- how did you see it? How old were you? What did you see? Give us give us your horror story. I want to know. Okay. So here's why why mine is probably different than other people's is that I was scarred for life by this film. But I had only ever seen six minutes of it. Oh. So what happened was, is I was a young four-year-old. Oh, my God. And my babysitter 
uh, was, was taking care of me. And she had this great idea of she was going to go and visit her boyfriend with me. Oh my God. You got like the total like slasher experience. I I totally did. She took me over to her boyfriend's house and at her boyfriend's house, his brothers were there all downstairs watching a movie, you know? And so they left me just at the front door while she went upstairs and hung out with her boyfriend. <laughs> and I was treated to the opening scene of My Bloody Valentine. So oh, we just rented this on beta. Cool. Okay, let's put it in. And they put it in. And up until then, I didn't even know what murder was. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm four years old. I don't know what murder is. I don't know what murder is. I don't know oh, what naked no. girls are. Do you, do you, and I certainly don't understand why two people would be walking down in a mine oh, shaft together no. and then one of them would just undress. Oh, no. <laughs> and so oh, the first opening of this film, and in my mind, it's funny in rewatching it, and maybe someone out there can tell me if there are multiple cuts of this, but whatever cut I saw when, so, just to set it up is you have two miners in full regalia with their, their gas masks and headlamps. And they're walking down this cave. You, you saw it uh, for anyone out there who hasn't seen it. And all of a sudden they stop and one of them starts to undress. And it's of course the female uh, classic. Um, classic. Yep. Yeah. Classic. Thank you. Humanity. Uh, <laughs> and, she she starts to mess with this guy in a romantic way. Starts and... stroking his respirator. Oh, yeah. I was dying. She's Stro- like jerking st- off his respirator. His respirator. And he... Yes. Yeah. See, I, I, I blank out on these details because I'm just like, oh, fuck this dude. <laughs> fuck this dude. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm still there sort of mentally as a kid, you know. And, and mm. so, yeah, she's stroking off her, his respirator. And then he notices she has a Valentine-style heart tattooed on her breast, which sends him into a little bit of a tizzy. And previous to um, them sort of like showing interest in each other, he has put his pickaxe into the wall. Um, And once he sees that heart, it sends him into some sort of rage or lust. And he pushes her back onto this pickaxe and it penetrates her back and goes out through her breast in in my memory of this blood uh pours out but i think what i'm seeing is the back of the vhs ca- uh, case had that shot so oh. so in my mind it's different so i remember in the cut that you guys saw it just shows like sort of like a little poke right but nothing actually breaks skin right no uh, so I think, and this was a question I was going to ask you because this movie has like a history of being um, censored ridiculously outside of, um, and I and that's why I was kind of wondering if if it was if it was uh, censored in because you saw it in Canada, I'm assuming. Yes, I saw it in Canada on Amazon. Okay, yeah, well, because like there there is the 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 regular the 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 regular cut that we have seen for so many years cut out all of most of the gore and that was the cut that's been circulating around and I'm, I'm i didn't know if they had censored it back when it came out in canada or not but up until about 2009 there was no uh 
unrated cut or cut that had the gore cut in. And then when Scream Factory and Lionsgate, well, Lionsgate back in, in 2009 and then Scream Factory recently put out the Blu-rays, they had it as both the, the rated cut and then there's an unrated cut that adds in ex at three extra minutes. And it actually shows uh, the pickaxe like bursting through her chest. Ah, so that's probably what I saw. And so that's <laughs> why – and I was really curious if, if you as a kid, it's, if, if they had shown if it had been censored in Canada or not because I know in the, in the United it was, States. In my mind, it was bloody. It was bloody. So so – and even in rewatching it, I was like, how is it that every time they, someone gets killed, they cut away? That doesn't seem yep. right to me. Um, right down to the, the, the lady being used as a shower head. Like I'm – it was just a bizarre <laughs> angle to use for that sequence. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense that it was all cut out. So when you rewatched it, even the, the version you saw was the, the cut out version then yeah. still. Yeah. But in okay, my mind as a kid, it, it was, it was bloody. It was bloody in that first six minutes. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I cannot imagine. I can't imagine being a four year old. And that is your introduction to scary movies, to yes. uh, sex, to all of that kind of. Yeah. Uh, what happened? So you, you stopped watching it after so that? I started that screaming. Six? I started screaming. <laughs> oh, no. When, it, when the blood came up yeah. in horror, and my babysitter ran downstairs, and I said, We got to leave. We got to leave. What are these guys doing? What are they watching? You know, like, I, like. I don't like up until that point. I, I didn't even like I said. I didn't even know what murder was. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. The worst thing I had seen was uh, I don't know Superman. <laughs> like that was probably the scariest movie I had seen at that point. Was Superman with Christopher Reeve? Oh no! So, so yeah, it it really really affected me and it really scared me. And I used to see that in my nightmares repeatedly. Um, just that image of like oh my God. a pickaxe going through someone and like just, yeah. Yeah. So, so I had never actually seen the wow. whole movie up until recently. Um, I had avoided wow. it much like I avoided, uh, things like maniac. Like, I, and, and to be yeah. honest, I've never been into gore because of that. So I just, I don't mm. watch gory horror movies because I think that movie right there made it so that fake gore is real in my mind. Like, like gore really gets me. Like I can't do it. Like I feel ill. <laughs> and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's just wow. me being not a crazy person. <laughs> hey <laughs> now, I, hey <laughs> now. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm feeling, I'm feeling seen I'm feeling here. attacked. I'm feeling judged. I'm feeling judged. this tweet. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but in all honesty, I've, I'm someone who can't, unless it's cartoonish, like listen, Dead Alive, Evil Dead 2, I'm down. Yeah. But when it's like, when it's somebody being like tortured or like, and I think it was that moment where I was like, what is going on? She was being nice to him, <laughs> you know? And then he killed her. She was being, she was being nice to him. Oh my yes. gosh. She was being nice to him. Yeah. So, did your parents find out about this? They had to. Did they? Probably not. 80s parents, you know? Uh -huh. Fair. Okay. I just went home and, and she probably consoled me. I can't remember. This is like. She's probably pissed off at you for interrupting her hang time. Oh, totally. This is 1982. <laughs> so it's not a safe place. <laughs> 1982. Let's put it that way. It's not, not a safe place. It's not a safe place. It's 1982. Um, wow. So there you go. That is the most like slasher setup I've ever heard too. Like. Yeah. Just. Yeah. It's there was amazing. a lot of that in my childhood. There was a lot of that in my childhood. Wow. Um, when, yeah. 
the eighties. A lot of a lot of 80s. us did really stupid, stupid stuff. <laughs> and you lived to tell the tale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but so, but so so in, on the topic of this movie, everybody, I really up until recently didn't watch it, uh, and so only the first six minutes scarred me. And I don't know that anything else in the movie would have. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here's the thing, because again, you, it sounds like you watched, cause I, this is the first time I watched it. I, I'd never seen it before. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of telling my little bit of history with it. This was a movie with it. Uh, I remember you, you talked earlier when we were, when you were discussing kind of your horror history, where you would um, walk through the, the horror aisle. And I would, that was one of the things that I used to do as a kid and awful. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it multiple times and I used to stare at the, at the covers of films that my parents wouldn't let me see. And I would, I would like dream up what that story is about. And I wasn't allowed to see this movie because the, the cover was too evocative, I guess. But I remember the face of the miner with that respirator and his, you can see his eyes and they look kind of like a combination of either being scared, but also maybe being deranged. Yes. And it, it was, it like, that I, I remember that image so clearly from being a kid and, and walking through the aisle, but I was I was never allowed to see this one. So I ordered for this thing, I ordered the steel box of the the Scream Factory release of this oh. movie. And I watched oh. the unrated cut, which adds in three extra minutes that were that were cut. And I'll tell you, the gore in this with, with that cut is actually pretty um surprising <laughs> like i and i'm and, and so i'm kind of curious if it's if it's different from the cut that you saw because there's oh yeah for instance the uh-huh. uh i i didn't have, see any gore i didn't see any on amazon wow. it must be the american cut because there was no gore and like i said i remember as a kid seeing that 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 beta and it was gory as heck and it was probably yeah. the unrated cut um, I'm I'm guessing so because yeah. uh, for instance uh with with Happy the the bartender slash kind of like harbinger first of all I love that character yes. but he um when when he dies he gets like the pickaxe through his his chin yes. and it pokes out his eye and his eye like pops out No did I you? didn't see any I did not no. see any of that I no, watched it on it, Amazon Yeah and it cuts away as soon like it go it shows the motion towards his chin and then cuts away and then he's sort of being yeah. dragged wow. on the ground and that's that no, it is it, like his eye is like doing the kind of hostile her eye is hanging out of like it is oh it is popped out of his skull with like the the pickaxe is pointed through her eye his eye like it is it's gory wow so wait what was madame mabel's death like then because like obviously she comes out of the dryer and she looks gross but like was her they kind of cut away from her death they don't show her really Um, getting killed they just show her in the dryer yeah they don't show her being she doesn't get oh okay she doesn't get killed any differently in this one but um i don't know if it's any different but her body like twirls in the (laughs) in the um the the um the laundry machine for a while no that did not happen she pops out and then the camera is like further back and so you can see um him standing next to it and her body is just like twisting in no. The, no way. No. The okay, laundry I, machine. I have to order this yeah. right now because that sounds amazing like, i really liked the movie and the kills but this sounds even fucking better <laughs> it's, oh it's, my God. It's, it's surprisingly yeah, I feel so it's surprisingly gory and you you do feel that it's been cut like like because yes. it, yeah. They're, they're, the everything is anticlimactic because all of this stuff has been yeah. pulled out. I like I like the moral of the story. You know, it really it's really fitting for COVID times. 
<laughs> you know, if they just didn't have a party, we'd all be uh, fine. You know, <laughs> just yeah. don't have a party and we're all fine. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> like, it's a very simple solution, everybody. Uh, every year, someone gets murdered because you guys have to have a Valentine's Day party. And this year, you can avoid that by just not having one. Wow. And yet, they mm. can't stop nah. themselves. Nope. You can't. And we have to go into the mines yes. to do it. Yeah, I'm curious. Now I need to see that cut because it makes yeah. sense. So many wrong-headed cuts like even in the end uh i don't know about you but i was confused that his that he had cut off his own arm so he does cut off his own arm okay in the cut i saw it goes from him hey we found him we found him and then it cuts to him running off with his arm already cut off oh no like he he grabs her she grabs his hand and then like he saws his arm off somehow, and then she pulls it out and oh, pulls man. out a, a, a cut off arm and is holding it in her hand while he like runs no, off no. doing the little sing song. Okay, so we've been robbed. We've been robbed. The version we saw, we have we've been, been robbed. robbed. Yeah, we've been oh robbed. Oh my god! And you were talking about the the death in the in the shower, where in the scene I saw it, you actually see water pouring out of her mouth. Yes. What the fuck? <laughs> Like, it is a full-on camera of her face, and there's, like, water just shooting out of her yeah. mouth. No, they use a side angle, and it's just him oh. looking at the side angle going, oh, yeah. my God. And, and, and like, he, he grabs his head, and it's, like, kind of awkward, because you're like, what is he, like, what, is, you know what he's looking at, but you're like, but what is he actually looking at? And you're, and then he's just like, nope, you don't get to see it. I'm like, well, all right, fine, I guess, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it makes almost no sense. And so, so much of the film seems like just shoddy filmmaking you know and, yeah. and it was confusing and no you're telling me that this is just a censored the worst cut yes and in fact uh, a lot of the the footage apparently some of it was has been lost like uh there's one of the things that kind of confused me and it sort of is probably confusing me in the way that you guys are like why why is it cutting this way is that one of the the one death scene that is not that is not in this cut is uh michael and harriet who get um like duo drilled i guess you like see they come one of the characters comes across their body and there's like a drill in them and i was like when did that happen and that is not in the movie because that apparently has been lost and uh no way the director remembers filming it he he says that he recalls filming it but it hasn't shown up in any of the the cuts since they started like restoring and piecing together the edited out content wild that's so weird well Huh. Well, there you go. Well, there <laughs> you have more, it. A lot more makes sense now. Uh, yeah. Because wow, it, really, that, it really did cut yeah. in a bizarre way every time there was tension. Um, and uh, I, I think it's a be- completely different movie. Yeah. With no, the I, gore could, in. I couldn't believe that I was scarred. Um, and like I said, when I was rewatching it, I was watching with my producer that uh, saw Come True. And I said, I can't believe I was scarred by this. I swear there was blood <laughs> squirting out of her. Like, like nothing happens. Like it really cuts right as you see the pickaxe coming uh, up to the skin, and then it's it's out. Well, and then when they did the close up on her mouth screaming, I was waiting for blood to come out of it. I was like, I know what's going to happen. Like blood's going to start pouring out of her mouth, and it didn't. I was like, wait, yeah, that's no. bizarre. <laughs> Huh. Now I, I want you to, to to watch this the the uncut version and tell me what you think of it because uh, 
it's um i think it might be a different experience watching the film honestly well, it'll, be, it'll be a slasher it film sounds like yeah, it. this, this, was, yes. a, this yeah. was a slasher film without kills and it reminds me of what is the friday the 13th that is that is similar seven in that regard? part seven yeah yeah they edited Where, out all of the all of the gore and and it just doesn't feel right because no. the intent and the buildup could because if you're if you're not going to have that why why are we here the story is not very <laughs> right know? well and the, the, these moments are are built sort of like uh, a joke so it'd be basically yes. telling the joke without a punchline yes exactly uh, like constantly well, over and over constantly, and over, over, and over. Yeah. yeah no yeah. and it really yeah. does add up to a very very different experience so what were your guys' thoughts then if we've all seen different films <laughs> I still loved it. Listen, it's um, still a lot of fun, and it, it really tells. It, it, I, I, it just made me want to have uh, Moosehead beer, um, which right? is Canadian, by the way. Oh, is it a real beer? Oh yeah, it's a real beer. Fuck yeah! <laughs> well, Welcome I, to Canada. You, you know, I, ne- I never know, like if they make that up, that shit up for like. I, I have to think wanna... that there was so much Moosehead in that movie that it was sponsored. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very, very true. There's like the Moosehead box on like the in the laundry Everywhere. room when she get went. Yeah, everywhere. Um, and I was like, I want to drink that because the bottle is very attractive looking. and I would love to drink it. So I'm glad to know that's real. I loved this movie because I didn't know anything about this going in. Like, I had no interest in seeing the remake. I knew nothing about this movie. And so, like, I was genuinely surprised with the twist at the end. And, like, I thought that this killer was so cool because he wrote poetry and i was like he's like yeah. a sophisticated killer and i just thought it was a cool spin on it because you know you have freddie who's you know very vocal but he's he's like is crude and he's joking around and then a lot of other killers are pretty silent like they're not mm-hmm. really talkative and you have this guy who has like a statement of purpose almost and like shares valentines and poetry with <laughs> His vi- I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting and like a cool twist on the thing we like the, ex- the expectations of slashers with that definitely, whole definitely. Like, ethos. Yeah, and, and it's such a it's such a morality tale in in a it's it's like a it is a folk tale. It really is a folk tale. Like there's a t- mm-hmm. it's yeah. the town Valentine and it's Valentine's Day and they they died on Valentine's Day. It's so heavy on the folk tale that 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 it's cute and endearing in a really, in a really fun way. Yeah. And also there's a really interesting, like class commentary going on here as well that like, I don't think is touched on a ton, but like, I was just thinking about this a lot with this dichotomy between like suburban slashers, like Halloween and nightmare on Elm street versus this one, which is in like a smaller town. That's kind of a blue collar town and seeing which is this also guy, in Canada. Yeah, it's a Canadian horror movie, right? Yeah. All of the Canadian horror today. Um, But it's like he's killing off this small town, which makes sense with like the folktale angle of like... Because they haven't learned their lesson. That partying partying is is more important than safety and and (laughs) like that's the great morality tale. Yeah. The the thing that like uh, I really responded to watching this movie is kind of it goes in line with what you're you're both are talking about. It's the idea that this is a very rural blue collar uh, location, and you don't really see that a whole lot in slashers. And I I was thinking about this this town of and almost the sort of there's like a 
a quiet desperation to it because you, you really yeah. it, it's there's you, they really focus on how isolated this town really is. Like when the heart comes in, the the cop has to actually go to a different town to have it looked at. Like it's really establishing this idea of this rural mining town where the you you get kind of an idea of the sort of like blue collar camaraderie between the people like i i really like the opening scene where they're well past the cold open with the death where uh the miners are working down there and they all have to go up and take a gang shower together and they're all laughing and it's kind of playful and it kind of continues into this it you see this this you talk about the class dynamics you can kind of see it on on display especially with the uh the flashback where the supervisors leave the miners down there and they're all up celebrating and the way it's framed they're like cheering and jeering while people below are being trapped in in the mindset and so it's it's a really interesting pull here i i found yeah well and it's much like you know i talk about like the way horror and just any popular media growing up affected me uh it's it's horror often in this era when i was growing up was really about trying to tell some sort of story along with Mm -hmm. whatever was happening it had it had to have that other layer um and often it was it was a morality tale and and putting class into it uh it is really interesting it's a really nice take and and yeah it uh it's it's funny I personally, uh, I always, like I said, I struggle with gore movies and I struggle with violence. And it was weird because in this movie we talked about earlier, I was, I felt robbed because we didn't get it. And it was weird mm. because, and, and, and it probably comes down to the class thing is that I wanted them to get killed because they were, yeah. <laughs> they were being disrespectful. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's they were the thing. so annoying. Like I wrote a note. I was like, these look like they burst into like where they're setting up the dance and the guy's got the fucking air horn and they're just like yelling <laughs> that's what at I the mean. beginning and just laughing. And I'm like, y'all are so annoying. Like all of these male characters, I just need to shut up for like two seconds. Like, please <laughs> stop screaming. <laughs> And, and isn't but it's, that a good way, interesting? it's a good way to think about it, though. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that for once, like, I'm not someone who wants and, you know, it comes back to us talking about revenge. You know, we were talking about revenge in this sort of baseline uh, want and desire for someone to get their comeuppance. And, and this film is is 100 <laughs> percent working on yeah. that and trying to make us want to. But on the other side of it, I mean, this film actually had some really great performances in it, too. Um, I don't know if you, you guys felt that. I, I, I know that there were some really, really strong performances from, especially with the, uh, I'm blanking on the, uh, the characters that were the boyfriend and former boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, oh TJ, TJ and Axel. Yeah. You know, there was, there's something, there was, there were, there were some half decent, you know, <laughs> like, like, there was some, no, half-decent, yeah. there was, there was some nice moments there. Uh, but it, it, it was, it was weird to feel the neglect, uh, or the, 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 the not the kills not being there and to feel robbed but i did yeah. because they were so annoying. <laughs> well and like it's another- a slasher too like you have the expectation of that gore like you go into it you're like all right like i know i'm what i'm going into well and, and like that- you don't get that so, so yeah let me ask you guys as, as pe- so i i actually funny enough i don't watch a lot of slasher films i love horror films but i you know i typically don't and i think it's because i innately don't like feeling that I want someone to die. <laughs> and, 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 but slasher films, 
want us to feel that and, and, and have been designed to feel that. And sometimes it is fun to watch people get murdered because they've been so annoying. And, and I know it's just a movie, but so tell me, you know, what are some of your favorite slashers? I I love Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I'm a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, aficionado. I grew up watching them. And it's, it's one of the slashers that I feel does a good for, for most of the movies i think th- the first four in particular does a really good job of actually setting up these these characters that you actually care if they're going to die or not and so it almost is the anti that expectation where well, it's like three was the first one i saw in the series uh okay on, on beta again pre vhs mm-hmm. and i, hey, I had four movie. on beta i, I had four on beta i love three like three really really hit me hard because it was it was scary as hell, but also the ideas mm-hmm. in that were scary. Like all the ideas in that one. Yeah, and I I think that that kind of contrasts with the the stereotypical idea of what we see in a slasher. Because I mean I I am not I'm not the biggest Friday the Thirteenth fan, and those movies a lot of them are just basically nameless people being being hatcheted to death or killed in various ways, and those are are definitely set up to be like the kind of the, the the nameless the nameless uh, protagonists that are definitely archetypes and I for some for some way I I actually felt that way about this movie because one of the my one of my complaints about this particular film is that Sarah sometimes as I was taking notes that I didn't even know who a character was until after they were dead and it was only because someone was like Sylvia. Where are you, Sylvia? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, so that's the person that just got impaled on the, on See, the faucet. <laughs> I, it was filled with a lot of moments that I, I found myself thinking, oh, I wonder what young people would think of this film. And I'll give you a couple of those moments. One was, hey, cool. You guys hang all your clothes up. What, what would happen if I pull this? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, 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 like just bizarro stuff. And then like, hey, hot dog buns. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Like, oh, my like, God. Like, like there's moments that are that that as a time capsule, I was thinking this is I understand it, but this is weird. <laughs> like, this, is, this is wild and, and, and almost unhuman, like unhuman behavior. Like, no one on planet Earth was ever that excited about hot dog buns. And yet, (laughs) in this film universe, the excitement over hot dog buns and the proposition of all those greasy clothes falling on them was super fun. (laughs) It's those moments that I I think that's where I fall in love with slashers, is when you you get writing and characters that are otherworldly. Yes, I, yeah. you know, one, one of the questions I, I, I wrote down that I wanted to ask you guys, and I, I think we've sort of kind of touched on this a little bit, but I wanted to sort of dig a little bit closer into it is Harry Warden. So this, the guy that is trapped in the mine, and I don't know if you ended up seeing this scene because apparently a lot of it was cut out, but when they find him, he is sitting there with wild eyes and he is chewing on an arm. Mm. In the in the flashback scene that, that uh, Hap is telling the story about finding. that. Okay, I don't remember so that either. He's telling the story about like when they found him. In the Harry, remake, Harry. they talk about when they found him, he he was he had eaten everyone else. Yeah. So there's actually a scene where uh is it Harry or is it Henry? It's Harry, right? Harry. 
Yeah. When Harry Warden is found after the cave-in and he is sitting there gnawing on an arm and he has this wild bloodshot eye like look of, of, of derangedness in him. I, I look at this character and I and I think of the trajectory of, of the way that his, you know, he he's trapped in there. He eats his friends. He goes a little mad. He goes and he kills the supervisors. And then he's sent back to a mental institution where he ends up eventually dying. And I was just wondering, is do you guys see him as like as like this tragic character? Because I almost felt bad for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, totally. And and that's what was weird is so after I watched this one, I watched a little bit of the remake and the story of, of him being a cannibal in order to survive down there. I don't remember that from the cut I saw. And uh, the, re- the final reveal um, in your guys's cut, when it flashes back to the reason why. Oh, my it, God. It was so fast. No, no, no. It was so fast. That it did it basically. So in the cut I saw, it went kid under bed, person maybe got killed, kid under bed, and that was it. Okay, so what ends up happening <laughs> in, the, in the real cut of this film is uh, you see that miner yank out the man's heart. And oh. the blood splatters on the little kid's face. And then the little kid is under the bed sucking on his thumb with a blood splattered face. Okay. So it sort <laughs> of happens like that. Yeah. It's sort like there's but a little kid under the, the bed with blood the heart on his face. Yeah, it doesn't show the heart. Oh, yeah. No, so he you don't pickaxe him and he tears out that heart. Oh, no. So and so again, you're, I'm left with this otherworldly feeling of so – you're saying that when a child sees someone get killed by somebody, they want to be that somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the psychology aspect of this film. Very interesting. Well, I, I did actually kind of what I did like about that sequence in a way is one of the things that we've sort of seen a lot on on this 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 podcast is the way that trauma seems to beget trauma and it becomes yes. like a, a a never-ending circle of trauma and so i do think that maybe that's kind of what they're going for i think it's a little rushed and it happens so it's quickly that, that it's a worldly it, version of it that's what yeah. I, that's what I, I kind of and you see that a lot in slasher films and that is the thing that i i can say i do respond to whether it's christmas evil or the otherworldly quality of screenwriting that comes from a zone that I don't understand. It's kind of mm. awesome it, because they're not the rules of our world. They're the rules of cinema's world. And it's a totally different universe that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. The world where hot dog buns are exciting to a bunch of teens <laughs> who would otherwise be high and drinking, you know? Like that's that's what I love about the world of cinema and especially in slasher films. Because I think it comes from. But back to your point of Harry being sympathetic, absolutely. And in modern sort of retrospect, he he did what any one of us would do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if yeah. they were partying and having a great time, and he had to eat his friends to survive, yeah. <laughs> It's what any one of us would do. And it would be actually from the nowadays, we would probably make the movie from his point of view and be on his side. Like you pieces of shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. That's a horror movie. It's a, let's do a, a gritty reboot, but it's from his perspective well, you know, and not he did, rich, he did, for he did, real. He did. He did get away at the end with his one arm. So I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't make a sequel. Yeah, that's true. That was a setup. It, it absolutely it, was. It definitely was. 
So you were surprised you said, Mary Beth, about the, the reveal? I was. I didn't know much about this movie at mm-hmm. all. And so when the kind of like he takes off his mask and it's Axel, I was like, oh, my God, look at that. You know I didn't what? even expect that, which was exciting because I don't feel that a lot. Like, I don't uh, I don't know how to put it because I like twists. Like, I, tw- I don't try to predict where a movie is going. Um, my boyfriend loves to do that, but I don't. <laughs> and I didn't see that coming. I was kind of, I was excited for that. I was like, oh, finally a slasher or like a horror movie from the 80s that I don't know the like the twist or the ending to. It was yeah, very, it, it was a, a very twist. exciting experience. It is a good twist. I, I, I found myself thinking towards the end, just due to the structure of the film, that this, uh, is it Axel? Is No, Axel's the other boyfriend. Who's the the one that that uh, wears the scarf and low cut shirt? Uh, TJ. 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 Yeah, yeah, I loved his party outfit. It was and great. his his Irish accent that keeps popping through. Uh, actually, I don't know. I, I kind of I want to I want to guess that maybe he was from East Coast Canada. He is actually. I looked him up because I was so confused about his accent. He is actually from the UK. Okay. Okay. So he was trying to not sound, but it ended up just sounding like weird and like hyper Canadian. <laughs> There's, there's a moment in the yes. mind yes. where, yeah. <laughs> in the mind where it's like all of a sudden he is trying to be hyper Canadian, but then that I, there's like an Irish brogue accent that just sort of like comes out, and I'm like, what is going on here? Well, you know, my favorite was he's like on by the seaside with his girlfriend, and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, that doesn't even sound like someone really talking. Like that sounds like you're trying no, to sound Canadian. Like that some, sounds like some you're people, tr- some people. Some people have that accent. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Sorry. It's, it's just so it's, funny. It, it happens sometimes with friends of mine and I go, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really does. It. And today I was called out because I, I said project. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Project. Not <laughs> project. project. Not project. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, towards the end I found myself try- thinking that, is, is, did he do all this like so he could set it up to get her back like that it started to feel that way towards the end that he was he had set he had done all this to like create this this confusion and horror so that he could once axel had you know um passed on uh in the fake out i thought oh okay well did he do all this to get rid of him and to sort of bring her into his arms because i was thinking this is the 80s and most uh guys in the 80s are pieces of junk (laughs) <laughs> nothing Fair. brings nothing brings a girl into your arms like murdering her entire friend group <laughs> nothing <laughs> nothing in the world of 80s movies maybe it, yeah that's i mean true that's, very true seems to be like the the kind of mo for a lot of them but the thing that i was i was talking with mary beth off of offline was that i really just wanted sarah and her friend patty to go off together because they seem to be kind of into each other and i really just wanted them to like just screw these men and just go off on your own have have a fun life yeah get out of this town yeah, that love that love triangle was fucking annoying i'm just gonna say it out loud like outright like that i just like Mostly because those two guys were just like so broody and petty, and also Treating TJ like was property. like, "I just, yeah." And he just like fucked off to the West Coast, then came back and was like, "Yeah, it didn't work out." And she's like, "You didn't, you ghosted me, dude. Like, why was I supposed to wait for you? Like, you didn't tell me what you were doing." And it was just, I just wanted her to be free so badly of those two douchebags. <laughs> Just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. I'm gonna say it outright. No, they were no, douchebags. But that's you know. 
coming back to my own film, you know, this is this is the media that we grew up on, and mm-hmm. we thought that this was yeah. behavior that was normal. And true, that's, that's the commentary that that I wanted to have in my screenplay was that the behaviors that we think are normal uh, often do come from the media of our time, and they are out to lunch. Uh, and they need to be examined <laughs> and, and that's, yeah, that's, that's a good it, point. This is, a, this is another great chapter in behaviors that need to be examined, including being excited about hot dog buns, um, <laughs> <laughs> hot dog buns. Maybe they were really stoned and excited to eat hot dogs. Well, those like, hot dogs were some of the worst cinematic looking hot dogs I've ever seen oh, in a movie. Okay. The color- that is also- worst way to die i was gonna say that is like the worst way to die because that i I, hot dog water is not the most pleasant (laughs) smell (laughs) he's just getting like not only is it boiling and he's like having his face fried off but like okay smell not in our cut in our cut (laughs) it was hot water's there his face goes in cut oh yeah exactly but i I will say there's a kind of cool shot under the water up nope. in his face what? and it's nope. it's kind of blistered a little bit like it's not it's it, the effects aren't the best but like it is actually a shot as if the camera is inside the boiling pot looking at <laughs> his that. face i'm so mad i'm buying i'm buying this blu-ray immediately right yeah because i do want to see <laughs> hot dog water burn someone's face like, for the couple of times i've seen like boiling water used on people's faces in horror movies that's my le- like that that makes me feel sick like, no. not a lot of things make me feel sick, but I just, there's something about boiling water and like getting your face like shoved into boiling water and you, you're like sleepaway dying camp. in this heat. Wins the, wins yes, the prize. Exactly. Sleepaway camp. Yeah. Yes, sleepaway camp. The cutaway oh my God. back and forth to the shot of him in agony. Now, there's a guy who really deserved it. Oh, yeah. All, no, yes. all the people in sleepaway camp deserve to fucking die. <laughs> I know. Well, and, okay, again, this is something I saw now. In terms of movies that really, really stuck with me throughout my filmmaking career, Sleepaway Camp is, I watch that all the time, all the time. Mm. There's something so uh, interesting about that movie and and it is, I can, I can watch it endlessly and I don't know why. I really don't hmm. know why. Uh, I've not done any self-examination on it other than <laughs> the ineptitudes of filmmaking create a mood that is so surreal. Again, the surreality of uh, most slasher films because yeah. of their conceit is, is their bizarro worlds that don't exist. And sleepaway camp is a great example of, of a world that doesn't exist. And in fact, some scenes are, are openly uh, surreal, like the ant scenes, you know, they're, they are surreal oh my God. and they're shot to be. And so you have to wonder, like, who's at the helm in these movies sometimes because they create such a bizarro landscape in your mind. Yeah, sorry, I'm off topic here with Sleepaway Camp, but it really it's no, part, it's part of it. the it's part of the DNA of of talking about slasher movies as things that can scar people <laughs> because mm-hmm. they are a reality that doesn't exist. Um, yeah. in 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 the way that people act, in the people in the way that people react. And, and it would be almost weird to see this because I've actually been thinking about this recently. I would love to make a, a slasher film. But I would I love to see what that would look but like. But I don't know what a modern slasher film is because we see these slasher films still being made, but they just don't hit because they're the same 
idea as the old ones were. Um, but now we don't accept that, that illusion anymore. You know? Yeah. I was, I was, was, as I was watching this movie, uh, yesterday, I was thinking, boy, I, so many of these early slasher films rely on, well, and, and horror in general at that, at that time rely on a lack of communication. And I've realized like how much technology has really made it difficult to do a traditional slasher like this because Mm -hmm. I I was thinking in particular of the police chief who is in his car he's at the mine and he gets this call on the on the radio like oh the person's calling from administration he's like well I guess I'm making a Yui and going back to my to the to the office when he is (laughs) like right there at the mine and he could have saved someone but no there's no there's no cell phone so he has to go back to answer this phone call and I'm just like man Technology has made it really difficult to do slashers anymore. Because we would just call. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and on the flip side of that, uh, I'm going to put this out in the ether and I hope no one steals this idea, <laughs> um, is that should anyone ever lose their phone and they're in the middle of nowhere, guess what? They're in worse condition now than they ever were because yeah. how do you phone your best friend? Do you know their phone number? Because no. I sure as hell don't. Um, I no. sure as fuck don't either. Exactly. So there is a new degree of reliance on phones that can actually be used. Uh, people don't particularly store things that are, you know, short term in their own minds anymore. It's all on the phone. So there is something that can be exploited. It's actually really uh, the new Wrong Turn movie, um, which is actually pretty good. They do. They play with that idea of like oh. they don't have cell phone service and they lose GPS and they get lost because they don't know how to get around without GPS. And like when they lose their phones, they're like, I don't know how to do anything without my phone. Like I don't have a flashlight. <laughs> I don't have like, it's. But it's like it was legitimate reasons too, and they wasn't just like. That's what I'm saying. It is all it would take is for for Jason to come and steal your bag in the night, and you're done. <laughs> it's like, true, and like that's how you, and that's how you get to a good. Sl- I feel like that's how you get yeah. to the good yeah. like slasher vibes is like fuck up the phones and then <laughs> well i was trying to think i i saw a movie recently and i don't i cannot remember what it was but i remember the scene and it irritated me so much because the person had lost their phone and they were stuck somewhere and they go to get some help i think maybe from the police department or something and the guy's well do you have someone you can call and they're like i don't know anyone's number and the way he's like looking at them like you don't know anyone's number i'm like i don't think anyone anymore knows anyone's number we have a contact on our phone very few very few there's some you know legacy numbers that you remember from pre especially me i remember my neighbor's number from when i was a kid but i don't know anybody's number now um and i remember my landline phone that i haven't had in like 20 years (laughs) me too and so there's there's definitely things to exploit in modern but i mean even thematically are we are we a, a, a group of people now that wants to see other people get murdered by somebody? Do you know, like with with without the otherworldly quality? Like if it was completely real, like if someone was being modern real, would you want to see them murdered? That, and I think that's why the otherworldly quality exists, is so that it is just different enough that you don't feel as badly when they get murdered because that's my only sort of the only inference I can take from it is that because if we had like imagine a a real movie where everyone's acting completely as we do and then they get murdered 
That's real. You get the strangers. <laughs> it's real. Yeah, <laughs> which, no, exactly. Yeah, which and, is and uncomfortable you, to watch. It's uncomfortable, not and you're fun. not like, yeah, let's, hey, man, let's get together and watch the strangers like ten times in a row. No, <laughs> you know? I'll do it. I, I would do that, <laughs> but I'm fucked up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, you know, actually, you know, it, 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 listen, there's enough entertainment value there. Ugh. Well, yeah. like, there's something about the nihilism of that that's really difficult. And I think that's the thing. Slashers now are much more nihilistic when they're, like, people doing it. I think there's a much more, like, a- like idea of, like, domestic spaces being invaded and it being much more terrifying that it's by a person and they don't have a motive, really. And I think there's something to that nihilism that is much harder to watch for people, which is valid. So I think it's hard to do a slasher with, like, a regular person without it having that, like, tinge of nihilism to it yeah yeah and and so i'm struggling right now because i would love to do something in that realm and 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 personally i'm just i'm not able to come up with the scenario that really makes sense for me to do it (laughs) yeah yeah wow yeah i didn't think about that yeah because it, it it does veer into nihilism and and i'm actually a very optimistic person do we want to wrap this up and give it a rating out of five? That sounds good. <laughs> On that note, crush your optimism. Yeah, no, is it a joint? <laughs> Listen, I had a great time watching it, and I, I pretty much have a great time watching any uh, genre film from this era. So I don't know about you guys, but I give it something like a four what? personally, or is it like a group thing? Well, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, we'll start, and then you get, kind of get the final word. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, Terry, uh, how many – oh, my God. I just totally fucking blanked. How many human hearts in a box out of five do you give my bloody bound? I've had a long day. This movie, I, I think I might – well, I obviously had a different experience watching this movie than the two of you did with, with the I'm cut so, that so I saw. I'm so mad about that. Yeah, well, I'm I, fucking I, mad I think, about it. I actually it. think I'm we should so have reserve mad. our final judgment – uh, until we see the actual <laughs> full cut of it, because I think it would change my experience with it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I really enjoyed this movie a lot more than I than I actually expected to. I, I had seen the remake and I enjoyed I enjoy the remake. And I think that it's actually interesting because the twist of the remake kind of plays against the twist of this movie. So it, in a way, it does not spoil this movie. And I think that if you watch one and then watch the other, you're kind of it plays with that expectation. So I okay, but I think this movie is is a lot of fun. I think the the kills are really great. They surprise me. I love the examination of the more rural uh countryside vice a lot of the suburban locales that we normally see in slashers. One my biggest complaint and it, it might be a minor one, but my biggest complaint is that is the reveal of Henry Warren's been dead for five years because where it's placed at in the film it feels very limp. It doesn't. I'm like, it, okay, but we already know who the killer is, so this this is exposition. It doesn't matter. I almost kind of wish it had been earlier in the oh, film yeah. where it was like we're we're meant to believe that it is Henry Warren, and then he's like, oh my god, Henry Warren's been dead. Who is this person that's been killing people? Because that would have really, I think, kind of amped up that ending, which I did feel was a little uh, anticlimactic in a way. I, um, I, but, I can I can agree with you there. Like that would have had. Well, if he's gone, then who's doing this? Yes. Yeah. Because afterwards, it's like, okay, well, we already know it's not him. Like, okay, he's dead. That's sad. But <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not really a, a <gasps> shocking moment. Um, so I, you know, I think I give this, okay, I think I give it four. I'm going to give it four 
bloody human hearts in a in a box. That's a lot of human hearts in one box. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna smash them in there and give it four. <laughs> what about you, Mary Beth? I also give it four human hearts in a box, just packed on in there, like the most beautiful um, Valentine's Day present there ever was. <laughs> Does it come with a poem? Yeah, duh. <laughs> yeah, four poems if you want. <laughs> I really enjoyed watching it. I had I this is like one of those slashers I knew nothing about. I like loved getting to watch it. I loved experiencing it. I'm pissed that it's gorier than I thought. I'm very <laughs> angry about that. The one complaint I think is the d- exposition dump at the end. Like that's my least favorite thing in, in slashers where they're like, oh, by the way, here's how we're going to explain everything that happened the entire movie in five minutes. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, like <laughs> this is dumb. But besides that, I had a very good time watching it. And I can't wait to buy the gore, the gore cut so I can have the full <laughs> My Bloody Valentine experience. Of, of seeing these annoying people get murdered. <laughs> murdered. <laughs> blood. Show me their blood. <laughs> um, anyway. We have turned Anthony, into like bloodthirsty monsters. I know. I sound great. It's like, it's like what my family actually thinks I'm like. They're like, you like horror movies? I'm like, yeah. They're like, almost you, like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, now I'm yelling, I want to see blood. So maybe there is something wrong with me. Um, <laughs> but Anthony, you have the final word. How many human hearts in a box do you give my bloody Valentine? I'm, I'm in the, right now, I'm in the four bloody hearts uh, camp. And it really comes down to, sorry, my dog. <laughs> hi hi dog it really it really comes down to the fact that i haven't seen the full version yet and i need to see the full version because it did feel like a a, an unfinished film or an unfinished vision and and the version that we saw on uh, amazon um shame on you amazon we need to see the full version which probably exists is it shout that put it out yeah scream factory put it out okay so it's probably on tubi it's on pluto it's on pluto tv for free I can't wait to see the original cut, uh, or as it was intended, and I think that it might bring the score up, but right now it's out of four. It's out of four bloody hearts in a box for Valentine's Day. There you go. (laughs) Um, Because it it really is, it's really entertaining, and it really is bizarre, and that's that's all I really ask for personally when I'm watching a slasher film, is that it be, like I said, otherworldly, in a a universe of its own, uh, telling me how to be a good person through the death of teens. (laughs) There you go. I couldn't say it better myself. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Slasher movies. Go. Learning Let's, how to be a good person yeah, through the yeah. deaths of teens. <laughs> totally. That that really is how I grew up. Learning uh, my morals. Yeah. It, it, it sums up the 80s, especially with, with slasher films. Absolutely. But yeah. um, <laughs> thank you so much, Anthony, for joining us to talk about my bloody Valentine. Where can wow. our listeners find you? And what do you have that you'd like to share? Ultimately, I mean, if you just Google me, you will find me and I'm on Twitter (laughs) and Instagram and that's about it. And, uh, I'm usually just sharing thoughts on movies and, uh, new music that is out there. Um, find me as pilot priest on waxwork records. Um, and, uh, this March 12th, you should go and watch my film come true. It's going to be on demand. What's your Twitter handle? At real pilot priest, because someone stole okay. pilot priest <laughs> yeah they did i accidentally went to their in the, their protected page that i was because uh, i was trying to find you and i was like oh <laughs> that's not you <laughs> yep. no so i had to turn into the real pilot priest unfortunately there you go <clears throat> um yeah so yeah the, everyone should go check out come true and uh 
That's all I got to say about Sweet. that. It's currently streaming. And thank you for having me on. It was great chatting with you guys about uh, blood and gore and, and other things <laughs> and revenge. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, listeners, you have heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What is your experience with My Bloody Valentine? Have you seen the gory cut or not? Um, let us know how prevalent this gory cut is. Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.